Hello and welcome to the Born Together podcast. I'm Techie Quay and I hope you enjoy tuning into this contemporary archive of stories on the subject of mother and parenthood. I believe in the connective power of this experience, whether it be that someone's story reflects our own or gives us the opportunity to learn and see something new. I hope that this podcast taps into the power of shared stories and that it may become a portable community for you wherever you are, illustrating the many ways we become parents and families, the lives that we live and the journey we make to find ourselves within it all. Thank you for coming on this journey with me and let's jump into the show. In this week's episode, Beth and Christelle shares her experiences, reflections and learnings on birth, motherhood and growing into her own power. Having had three very different birth experiences, two miscarriages and fallen into the depths of despair while suffering from hyperemesis gravidarum, Beth traces her arc of discovery, coming to love and feel confident in who she is, both as a woman and a mother. It's a journey that has brought her to question and actively challenge the system of maternity care, as well as the solitary nature of modern motherhood. Bethan shares her journey in such a beautiful way. There is so much for everyone to enjoy and reflect on in this episode. So let's jump in and happy listening. Hi, Bethan. Thanks for coming and joining me on the podcast. Hi, Techie. It's nice to be here. Thank you for yeah. having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for getting up early. It's funny trying to navigate the um the time difference, but we've made it happen, so that's awesome. <laughs> we have made we have made it happen. We have. Yeah. This is kind of a lion for me. It's seven AM, I'm not gonna lie. That's usually <laughs> it's a bit later than you that I'm usually getting going. Yeah. Um, Beth, and mm-hmm. would you maybe like to introduce yourself and your family to the listeners for those who are listening? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I am Bethan, Bethan Crisdale. Um I was born in Leeds in England, well, Yorkshire, Wakefield, for people in England may know that, but I don't think anyone in Australia would know that. Um, no. I moved to, uh, no, I don't think Shaky Wakey is going to come up over here. <laughs> I moved to Australia, I moved to the Sunshine Coast when I was 16 with my family, uh, my mum and my dad and my siblings and everything, the kitchen table. Now I have lived here for all of those years traveled a lot in between. I am with my husband Taylor and we have three daughters, Eleanor, Margot and Harriet. So Eleanor is nearly six and Margot is nearly four and Harriet is 10 months. Oh, that's nice. You've still got your little baby. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it's nice. Yeah. Very much still in the depths of uh, sleep deprivation, teething, sore nipples, all the thing. Oh, God, the sore nipples. I'm just completely different stage, but I think Ava's starting to wean. And so I guess my boobs are still, they're not getting like depleted like they used to. And I was like walking around today like, oh, I forgot what it's like to have sore boobs. I was like, damn, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got over it completely. For me, it was it was all gone. And then she's just been teething this one tooth for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's just been, oh, my gosh. An absolute marathon. Of, uh, yeah, but it, it finally popped last night. So, yeah, I'm feeling good. I Hooray. feel like it's a new day today. <laughs> Your whole body is just screaming out with gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bethan, would you maybe, should we jump in and talk about how you came to be pregnant the first time round? Had you and your partner or your husband been thinking about it for a while? We actually hadn't. It was a it was a strange journey the first um, the first time I got pregnant. So I was 
how it all started was I was 21 and I was living in Montreal. We were living in a tiny, tiny studio apartment in Montreal and I was on the pill and I actually got pregnant on the pill. So I was wow. that like 1% that it doesn't work for. Because so, I, I used it perfectly. I'd been on it for years. I was one of those people that had, you know, been put on it for skincare when they were young, yep. young, and kind of just blindly listened. You know, it was never really something that I worried about. And that that marked the beginning of my questioning, I guess, of the medical system and, and how blindly I, I trust them and, you know, motives mm. and that sort of thing. Anyway, so I, yeah, I got pregnant on the pill. I did miscarry. And because I was, it was just such a shock. And I was, you know, we had kind of accepted that we were having this baby. And oh. it was just, it was such a shock. And I was overseas and I was away from my family and, you know, away from like all of my um, usual support network there. But we, we do have a lot mm-hmm. of good friends in Canada. So, that was good. But after that, it's sort of a shock on top of a shock, isn't it? It's a shock that you're pregnant after being on the pill. And then it's a shock to lose that baby. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really, it was a really shocking thing. It was, cause I was like, I, I, you know, I truly did not believe that it happened to people until it happened to me. So yeah. then I was, um, after that, I, I kind of didn't take the pill for a while because I thought, well, it, it doesn't even work. Like, you know, this has happened. Yes. Like, I clearly think of something else. And coming off the pill, I realized that I had spent all of my adult life on contraception, but, you know, with artificial periods, I guess, and all of that. And I realized mm. that I hadn't, I didn't know my body. I didn't know my cycle, nothing. And realizing that it was all wrong. It was all abnormal. I I really didn't know what was going on. I had so many different symptoms and and things like that. So when we got back to Australia after that trip, because we'd been away for a couple of years, I thought, oh, I'll investigate this because this, you know, this surely can't be right. And it wasn't right. You know, my periods were all over the place. And I went to see so many doctors and nobody listened to me for nearly a year. It was a really long journey and I felt really like I was imagining things. I felt like I was really made to feel like they gaslit me a lot and the usual experience of a woman <laughs> trying to get help with anything women's health related, I guess. Yeah. Um, and Benton, sorry, what kind of, I guess, answers were you seeking just to see like what had happened with your cycle or about I just wanted being to able know. to get... No, I, I didn't have that on my mind at the time. I just kind of worried because my periods were not normal and I was having all sorts of other symptoms. And I just thought, you know, this for me in my naivety at the time, I just thought that if there was something wrong with me, I could go to the doctor and kind of ask them and they would just believe me that that there was something wrong with me and then they would help me. But it became this realization where I was almost convincing people and made Mm. to feel like I was making it up and so it took a really long time anyway I finally got diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome and it just devastated me at the time because I didn't understand it yeah and you're given this diagnosis and you don't really know what it is I think is the thing too with PCOS there's not a lot of information out there I'd never even heard about it before yeah and um yeah yeah I think you were like you were I'm assuming about to say about the um 
the amount of people that have it and the amount of people that have those sorts of things. Yeah, so it, it was really yeah. shocking to me. But I was going to say that um, I think that there's a statistic, it takes something like five or six or seven years for people to be diagnosed with PCOS. Like it just, it's ridiculous how hard me. it is to get that diagnosis. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, it's sadly not surprising that you had to really fight and advocate for yourself, it sounds like, to receive your diagnosis in the end. No. And since that moment, it seemed to have just kind of snowballed into any time, you know, I've had anything to do with my health to do, you know, to do while I'm in these years of having babies and breastfeeding. It's kind of the same experience. So yeah, when I asked about PCOS, the doctor, I remember sat me down and said, yeah, so you have PCOS and this is, you know, this is what it is. This is what it does you probably won't be able to have children. And I was very, very, very shocked and very sad. Straight away, I burst into tears and I was like, what do you mean I, I can't have children? Mm. Um, and they said, no, it's, um, it's you just probably won't be able to have children without a lot of intervention and help. So that really shocked me. And immediately I got referred to a fertility specialist. And on reflection, I don't think that I needed to do that. Mm. but I did it anyway because I you know I was still in that stage of like trusting them and so um we decided at the time yeah exactly yeah and I very much was strapped in so at the time Mm. I mean I was young and my family you know my mom and everyone in my family no one had any experience with this or no one that I knew had children so I really had no one to talk to about it so I was really just kind of it was me and the the medical system just listening to them. So yeah, we we ended up going to this fertility doctor. They said that the reason that my periods were all over the place were because I was not ovulating regularly enough. So I went in, we would have scans to see where I was ovulating, all of this stuff. I, I took medication to ovulate because we decided then to have children as soon as possible. Yep. So we, we went on so that journey. When you might not be able to have them, then... I don't know what's the way to say it, but did you feel like, well, we should maybe start now, maybe a bit earlier than we might have done because it's going to take, it it could take so long. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. I, cause I said like, you know, I've, I felt lucky at that time, like, oh, I have kind of discovered this while I'm still young. So yeah, let's, let's do it. And we were both really happy with that decision because we were so sad about losing that first baby unexpectedly so yeah we started I took the medication I I can't honestly it's so bad I can't even remember what the medication was that's how I was just it was terrible the side effects were just awful the whole thing Mm -hmm. yeah but I started ovulating immediately I got pregnant immediately um it was really great that pregnancy was really fine but my preparation for birth and all of that was uh me watching one born every minute, which is just not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> this is entertainment. It's not really a birth program oh or a gosh, form of no, birth education. Absolutely <laughs> not. No. If I could go back to myself, be like, turn the TV off. But it was. I had never seen <laughs> That's birth. Yeah. Not to watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had never seen birth. I had never. My my mom had two cesarean sections, one natural birth, and. Um, an epidural and you know my only 
uh, idea of birth was this horrific, painful ordeal that you suffer through rather than something that's that can be this beautiful thing. So something to forget was, rather than an experience that could be empowering. That's exactly it. Yeah, something to like enjoy rather than truly experience and and enjoy. So it was really hard for me in that, and it was the beginning of kind of the new me was that first pregnancy because I was towing the line between trusting the medical system, but also I had all these feelings in my body that I didn't understand of just knowing what is right and knowing what I feel like I should be doing. So I was starting to pull away then like, no, I don't think this sounds right. This doesn't look right. You know, there were talks of uh, even on my first few, my first few appointments with the obstetrician. So when you get to this stage, we will look at induction and just all of these things. And I was like, oh, I'm only just pregnant. It's yeah. are we really not not trusting my body at this stage? Like <laughs> already, um, yeah. Like we're yeah, setting me up so to fail now. That's it. Yeah. So it kind of dawned on me. And I think it's my personality type that has, that led me at that point to not be another casualty of, of that because mm-hmm. I am quite a stubborn person and I, I think critically about things a lot. So I was Good. kind of questioning like, is yeah. my, you know, is my conditioning going to be a, a negative impact here? And I think it really would have done if I hadn't have followed my instincts more because we did go on and have a really beautiful birth. There were a few things that I, um, didn't realize at the time were violent and you know non-consensual at the time and then looking back realized they were like I had an episiostomy with my first birth and I didn't consent because it wasn't something that was framed in a way that I could say no to it was you know I was I had been pushing her pushing for really short time it was I'd been laboring for a normal amount of time it was a smooth labor. I was in the shower for the, the most of it. And then, yeah, pushing for only about five, 10 minutes. And it was, it was posed to me in a way it was, I remember his words, I'm just going to make a little cut here. Or should I get the forceps to help baby out? And I was like, I can remember being horrified because I, I really wanted to avoid forceps and, and that induction. <laughs> I had, I had heard, mm. you know, terrible things. And so immediately horrified and he'd he had done it anyway before I had even answered but because it was I'm just gonna do a little cut it wasn't should I or can I he was telling Um, you what he was doing to your body rather than actually seeking consent yes and I had yeah I know and I had thought at the time and my husband had thought at the time we were both under the impression like yeah we avoided forceps go us that's awesome and then following that God, I was so heavily conditioned following that on my six week appointment after birth. I mean, I had a beautiful birth. We had the the golden hour. She did the breast crawl. We did, you know, all of that. It was really, really lovely after that. Then I had my six week appointment and I went and there was some sort of maybe a stitch wasn't healed internally or there was something not happening internally. And it's terrible in telling that I can't even tell you what it was. That's how uninformed I was at my own appointment but again he said about I'm just your gonna, own body <laughs> yeah he said I'm just going to I can't remember now I'm just going to do a little um we're just going to close this wound off and he cauterized <laughs> cauterized the inside of my vagina right there and then and I was so shocked and 
it was I'm sorry cauterizing it I'm trying to think is that sort of like heating it thing like it's like burning sorry it's I'm burning it yeah, yeah it's like burning yeah. a wound okay, it yeah was, to close it oh my god yeah I'm sorry and like I just suddenly was like I went completely blank I was like in my mind I'm thinking like this is it you're burning it sounds horrific because it is horrific and maybe that's what you need to do sometimes but it again was not framed in a way where I was giving consent there were no choices there were no pros and cons there was you know no preparation and I was like good lord yeah it was awful really sore really awful and again something that I never at the time thought was violence or anything other than what should have been happening so that those things you thought that was part of the care and the system and yeah that's just how things are done yeah Mm -hmm. yeah on reflection because in my subsequent pregnancies and births things have gotten so much better and so much more empowered and I feel like Mm -hmm. that is largely to do with me surrounding myself with people that trust their own intuition as well because As I mentioned before, with the towing the line of trusting the medical system and what we're supposed to be doing and then trusting our own intuition and what we've always known, I have leaned more towards that uh, as I've gone on and it's just served me so well. Mm. So yeah, and and because of that, my my births and my pregnancies, I've just, well, not my, my last pregnancy was terrible, but we'll get into that in a moment. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But my births and my general experience with, with things have been much more empowered and amazing. And how did you find motherhood the first time round? How was it connecting with your daughter? Um, Connecting with her was wonderful. It, It felt like the you know the cliche rush of love and all of that that we as we know does not happen many times it really did happen for me I was really you know completely oh I can't even find the words I was it felt like a coming home to me it felt like I was Mm. I had changed I felt so new and different and everything shifted and I just felt like more myself than I had ever been and so for me, that, that was really, really amazing. But I did struggle a lot with not having anyone. I didn't know anyone that had children at the time. I wasn't using Instagrams or anything like that. So I didn't have that connection to any sort of community mm-hmm. outside of my immediate sphere, which was really difficult because nobody breastfed in my family ever. I was the first person to breastfeed and it was all of those comments, you know, well-meaning comments that but damaging all the same. Are you sure she's had enough? And how will you know if she's drunk enough? And all of these things. And as a first time mum, you're sort of like, I don't know. Like, I don't know, but it's okay. She's fine. You know, you can't overfeed a breastfed baby and just saying all these things and then, but not actually knowing if it's true myself. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I would take... I would have so many experiences where, again, that was tested. So I would be, I went to the the health nurse because I thought, you know, that's what people do. Yeah. So I went. And they'll be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. My baby weighed and um, she said, oh, she's too big for her age. You you need to spread out your feedings. How often are you feeding her? And I, I said, oh, just whenever she wants. No, you shouldn't be doing that. She gave me this printout of like a strict sheet. And I thought, no, that doesn't sound right it kind of felt wrong to me, but then it struck me so many women would take that as, yep, that's what I should be doing and then change and then go through all this ordeal. Anyway, I went to a different health nurse and they said, 
no, she's too little. You you need to be supplementing. <laughs> Have you thought God. about formula? And I was like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. So yeah. I just didn't go back. I didn't have my baby weighed again and I didn't take my other children to, to get them weighed when they I would have obviously taken them if there were concern, but I just didn't feel like there was concern. I did I the same with, with Ava. Yeah. I just stopped. And I actually think it really helped me to just relax and just I'm going with my own gut here. And you, like she was, she had rolls for days. I was like, you're fine. Yeah. Like yeah, <laughs> you're fine and you're happy and smiling. Was, and, uh, yeah. Just this happy baby. And I thought, well, nothing is not working here so and all the comments from strangers oh she's big oh she's small it's just silly Um, she's just her yeah (laughs) yeah exactly and they all are it's like when you have uh, I've had friends I had one friend and she was really worried about her daughter being too small and then you know there were no answers but she was growing perfectly and it's like the Mm. family is just that's just small people everyone it's just some people are just small Some people are big. Yeah, some we're not all the small. same. We're all size. different. Yeah. yeah, we're all we're not. You know, we're not muffins. We're not going to rise to uh, what it says on the box. Equal, just, equal value yeah, exactly. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my muffins aren't of equal value anyway. So. Oh no! no, no. As soon as I said that, I was like, "But you can't bake." <laughs> yeah, we're both like, we suppose that's what happens. Yeah, muffins. I guess. Like, if that for size, some people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And how about you losing sleep as well? That was a hard one too. Losing sleep shock, for the first man. time was absolutely horrific. I was because I was <laughs> um I was doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. So I was feeding her and then trying to get her into a bassinet in my room. And so I was pacing around and it oh my gosh, it was just I got to the point at one stage where I was I had started I was so tired I had started to hallucinate. So I was, um, this one time I was sitting at the end of my bed, I woke up sitting at the end of my bed and I was, um, breastfeeding her and I looked down and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm sat here breastfeeding her. How have I got here? I did. It was so scary. And then as I looked at her, (laughs) it's so horrifying. She turned slowly into a pillow and I was sat there holding a pillow, breastfeeding (laughs) her. (laughs) <laughs> breastfeeding a pillow and she was asleep oh in her bassinet it was so shocking a horror film <laughs> yes it was it was oh my gosh it was it really was and I was like wow okay something something needs to to change here and so I stopped oh trying to get her asleep in her own bassinet and I just I went to the co-sleeping and yeah. from then on it was just so incredibly easy compared to what I had been doing I did manage to sleep you know I wasn't I think the difference between not marching around the house and trying to get her back to sleep and me waking completely rather than just laying over and feeding her and then and I've just done that with all my kids now I just I don't even try and such a game changer feeding on your side and you can still sort of be asleep and I think somehow they're less awake and then you both fall back asleep and I think somehow I think a lot of parents, I know we brought like this like side crib thing for um, for our baby um, and somehow even when you don't plan to co-sleep, I think just for survival, it actually happens so much. Probably yeah. most of the people I know, it's just for survival if nothing else. Something that I have noticed is anyone that 
I speak to about this in the UK, like any of my family or, you know, people that know me over there. They're always quite shocked about the co-sleeping, breastfeeding. Yeah. You know, all of that. It's like a really strange thing for everyone there. And I don't know if that's the the entire country or just Yorkshire, but it's like a weird <laughs> thing for them. Whereas here, yeah. it's more it is more of a a normal thing. It's more accepted. So it's, yeah, I think here mm. it's definitely to do with SIDS, and I know a lot of people, and I think I was the same. I remember like doing all this research and really worried about it, and I think that's the seed that's planted. And not to say. I mean, I'm not an expert and I think it's what every family needs to do that they feel comfortable with. But I know in like my NCT and the health visitor and even probably the GP, that's the line that they tell you. So when you have that repeated information, I mean, it scares you. No one wants to yeah. risk that. I yeah, always like but, to think that yeah. um, people, because people's parenting choices are so different. And I think that we're just... Yeah we make the best decision that we can at the time with the information that we've got. That includes, you know, what kind of society you're in as well and, like, where you sit in those intersections of privilege as well. Because for me, all of my experiences with the medical system as a white woman, I feel, you know, if I were a black woman or an indigenous woman, that would have been amplified so, so much. And it's shocking to think that, yeah disgusting isn't it I know well maybe it's a conversation for later or another time but especially in Australia with Indigenous women and in the UK it's a big problem for black people I mean globally it's it's something that especially in terms of birth and parenthood and just sort of the the sovereignty of that isn't articulated or respected but yeah it's I guess it's something that we should all probably be a bit thankful for, isn't it? The privilege that we do have. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then how did you find coming into your second pregnancy and birth? Were you then keen to try and do it differently this time? Yeah. So I weirdly, weirdly, weirdly went with the same obstetrician (laughs) for my second (laughs) and, um, I don't know. I and think it's because I, I, I rationalized it in my head like this person this person knows my history. That's how I rationalized yeah. it. I was still very much like I need an obstetrician. It was really it was a really strange thing. But yeah, we because in we, Australia that's the standard care, isn't it? That you'd go to yes. see an obstetrician. Whereas in the UK it's midwifery led. Sorry, I'm, it's like too late for my brain to really work. <laughs> <laughs> It's starting to change. There's a few more options now for people, but it's, yeah, I don't think any of it's any good, to be honest, but yeah. <laughs> and what's um, it we, like um, for people in the UK listening, if you go to see an obstetrician, I guess maybe it's hard to compare not having been through the system here, but do you still have your like regular appointments throughout your pregnancy? Is it, I guess a more medicalized kind of discussion you have with them yeah it is it is really medicalized I think when you go through the mainstream system so you will go you have your blood tests for me every time I had my blood tests I was told to prepare for miscarriage every time which is a shocking thing to tell someone and then to go on and have completely fine normal pregnancies like it's um yeah, always this fear and this instilling reliance on them with language and 
and that sort of thing. And through the the assumptive language, you know, no consent. So it's not, do you want mm. to have this scan? It's, we'll have this scan at this time. And it took it took me until my th- my third baby to even realize that that was happening. But yeah, it is very medicalized, and the majority of people are very much on that conveyor belt. And yeah. the first time many people will meet their midwife is when they are admitted to have their baby in the hospital. Okay. Yeah, so completely different. <laughs> yeah, and then the obstetrician that they've been seeing, obviously, as we know, many times will just turn up at the very end. So it's yeah, a, yeah it's a really strange thing. I did go private because the hospital close to me, I knew someone that sadly passed away in labor and it was due to their negligence. So I was very scared of that hospital. So I I went to a lot of effort to just pay, pay for my own way Mm. in in the private hospital locally, which made me feel a lot safer. I mean, it is more common. I think in the UK, it might be like, why? Like, it's not as common for people to go privately. But I know in Australia, like, people take out insurance for this sort of stuff. Like, it's it is really a, common a very, to do that. Yeah, it's a, it's something on people's minds. Like, what kind of care will you go private or through the system? Yeah, yeah. it's very different to what we have here on the NHS. That's All right. right. Yeah. And so, yeah, but it was good. The second pregnancy was. Um, fine yeah really good pregnancy it was um a bit more difficult obviously because I had a toddler and then birth birth was really wonderful it was really 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 long and this that birth really because I had already been on this journey of kind of you know embracing the new me and who I really am and all of that sort of thing that birth really locked that into place because I was uh, yeah laboring for such a long time her head was kind of on an angle and so each contraction was just pushing her into my back and not down so it was Mm. it was a lot it was really uh, a big effort but the midwife that I accidentally had because even in the private system you don't meet your midwife until the very you know the birth so the midwife that I had was just this incredible angel and I just I can't even begin to put into words how transformative it was to have her for that birth because she really just protected me the whole time. So when the doctor would come in and say, you know, you have until this time and then we're going to have to get the drip, all of these, they kept coming in and threatening and because I had been going for such a long time, she just kicked them out, locked the door, wouldn't let anyone in, just let me labor. Oh, wow. Um, it was amazing, amazing and it was really yeah, it really, really was. And it had it would have gone so differently if it weren't for her. Um, mm. I was so relaxed at the end of that birth that in between contractions and I never even pushed her out. She just kind of it was that, that reflex that you hear it, about kicking in. Reflex. Yeah. Yeah. And I was um, I just yeah, think for amazing. a birth where you were continually disrupted and threatened, like to get into that state of mind, that's amazing. It was absolutely incredible and just so relaxed and it was wonderful and she came out and she was huge and so chunky and amazing and <laughs> breastfed right I away like and <laughs> yeah she was really, it made me laugh laugh out loud because my first baby was a bit small when she came out she was like a little chicken and then yeah Margot was just <laughs> this big <laughs> roly-poly put in just amazing it was so great 
gosh. I found and moving from one to two very difficult though. People have said this and, it, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of umming and ahhing. Yeah, it was very difficult. But then moving from two to three for me was very easy, if I can say easy. Yeah. It's, it's chaotic, but it's – It's not I'm as big as really the one to two. No. And how did you go, I guess, breastfeeding with Margot and – going through all that again it sounds Very you different. mentioned that you didn't go in and weighing her it was just such a different I did nothing experience. like that yeah it was I just I was just so much more intuitive and trusting of myself yeah so I just yeah it was great it was so wonderful actually to really I really felt so much power in trusting myself and working on instinct and so I just felt more in control I just felt like I had that sovereignty mm-hmm. I was leading the ship rather than being like a guest and being told what to do about my own body and my own experiences so I uh, yeah it was really really great and did you find it was a healing process or did you also find I guess maybe reflecting on your first experience did you feel a little bit sad how that all went or it was more of a positive not at that point no yeah. I hadn't even reflected on my first birth at that point. So I was still, I, you know, if anyone asked, I had a really wonderful birth. And I do still believe that I had a wonderful birth for both of them and that there were mm-hmm. no, but it's this, this last birth that was, it was honestly heaven. It was, my third birth was just so incredible and so wonderful and so enjoyable that I thought, well, this is what we're, what birth can be. And it really shone a light on where, where the other two I could have you know been supported better of and did you one thing I was curious about as well was after you gave birth the first and maybe the second time were you still going through the process of I guess down the road you went with the PCOS and taking medication to help you ovulate or things had sort of sorted themselves out after you had your babies So interestingly, and I don't know if this is related because it's definitely not something that a doctor would help me look into, maybe a naturopath, but yeah, after I had Eleanor, my periods didn't come back until it was a year after. I only had one period and then got pregnant with Margot between 12 months and 18 months postpartum because I got pregnant at 18 months postpartum. So yeah, I assumed my periods were not not back to normal or anything, but I went vegetarian after I had Eleanor. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know if it's because of that or, or what, but I suddenly, I don't have the, the PCOS symptoms um, anymore. And that's wonderful. was able to just get <laughs> pregnant. So yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. not telling everyone that that's the answer to PCOS, of course. <laughs> but for me, yeah, for me, after having my babies and, and going vegetarian, I've I've noticed um, a, subs- a subsiding of that. So wonderful. Well, who yeah. cares what it is in some ways? If yeah. you've, if that's what's happened, that's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. It would be nice yeah. to know. I guess it would be like what has happened. But like you said, it would probably be a bit of a journey to work that one out. Yeah, and then so coming into your third pregnancy, is that when? you made a conscious choice to change up your, I don't know, your care or how you wanted to go about your birth experience? Yeah. So my third, going into my third pregnancy, Harriet, she was a bit of a surprise. We had planned on getting pregnant with the third because I had 
while we were in Italy, a few months before I had had another miscarriage, but I, I didn't even, it wasn't a planned thing. I didn't realize really that it was a strange situation. I didn't know that I was pregnant and then I was pregnant and then I miscarried like a day after. And that mm-hmm. was while we were in Italy because we, we travel around a lot, work online and, and travel. So that happened. And when we got back to Australia that, that time, we were staying with my parents. And so there wasn't a lot of baby making, baby making going on with two kids, you know, two kids and two adults in one room. We did have sex one time, just one time. And, and I got pregnant. So yeah, the PCOS, <laughs> don't know about that, but um, it, just, yeah, it just happened. She was very desperate to be here. So here she is. Um, I found yeah. out that I was pregnant because we were on a flight from Melbourne we were yeah on a flight from Melbourne and the whole time I'd been in Melbourne visiting family I was feeling so ill so 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 ill and on the flight I thought well I'm either pregnant or I have like gastro or something bad's happening <laughs> or I'm so not well yeah mm. I got home and took a test and I was pregnant and then from that day my life just became hell honestly I I was so wow. sick I was so so sick from that day and I was, my, the positive test was so light. I was so early and I was just deathly, deathly ill. I was, it was so, so bad. So I had hyperemesis. I was going to ask if you had HG. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And it was, it was all encompassing. So it was so bad that the air, the air moving around me would make me throw up. I would throw up about 30 times a day. The nausea was at 10 and it was 24 hours a day. So all through the night, all through the day, the smell of my kids, the smell of anything, uh, colors, oh light. Um, yeah, it was every every single thing would make me throw up. So I couldn't drink water. I couldn't eat food. It was food. just a permanent state. Oh, my God. It was really, Will really bad. My, yeah, many times. Time. So the first, yeah, the first time I was hospitalized, I was six weeks pregnant and um, oh my, my God, throat was bleeding. Word. Yeah, I was um, throwing up blood. My throat was bleeding. My veins had collapsed. My blood vessels in my eyes were burst. It was really, oh really bad. God. And uh, I went to the emergency room and I was turned away oh. from the emergency what? room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they said, oh, oh just eat some crackers. Yeah, oh. just go eat some crackers. Just sip on water. This is a very normal part of pregnancy. And so oh. we went I went to another hospital. I got turned away from that hospital, the same thing. And then so I ended up I went to we had changed obstetricians at this point. We went to a different obstetrician and I had really researched and gone with a really um woman led provider and so she was really, really, really wonderful. And I am so grateful because I feel like this experience definitely would have been so much worse if it went for her support. Because I, yeah, I turned up at her door, her office, and was basically just in a just in a help heap, me. Just collapsed, yeah. yeah. And she admitted me straight away to the maternity ward. I was on IVs and this, that, and the other. It was so bad. I think I had like five, five bags of fluid and I was there for a couple of days and then since and then from that point I was I had an IV every week uh or every other week for the entire pregnancy oh god it was so from awful like, it was so awful 
and just yeah. when you've had two pregnancies, like it wouldn't even be on my radar. No, it wasn't for me, yeah. not at all. And, you know, because I had, I was on this journey of, you know, growing into my power. I had really imagined this yeah. third pregnancy to yeah. be like my time to shine. I was like going to do yoga. I was going to, you know, all really of these things. Own and, it and be empowered. Yeah. 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 And instead I was just, I was in a dark room. I, it was my daughter's first year of kindy and I couldn't be involved at the kindy. I couldn't go anywhere or do anything. I was just in a dark room throwing up wow. and the depths, the depths of despair and the thoughts that I had, it was just, oh. I have never felt so alone. And so it was just, oh, I can't even, to anyone that experiences this, my heart just goes out to them because it was so truly horrific and so traumatic. And to have that every day as a reality for and knowing that it's the reality um, for such a long time, even knowing, knowing there is an end to it doesn't help at the time because that's how bad it is. Yeah. I just wanted to die. I'm going to be honest with you there. I just, I wanted to either not be pregnant. I, I loved my baby, but I despised her because mm. she was doing this to me. That's what I felt like at the time. And I just, yeah, it was really, really, really bad. And the, the medical system did not help doctors, uh, they would give me the medication that I needed to stop me from throwing up. Would It would take me from throwing up about 30 times a day to maybe about six. So it was really helping me eat and drink a little bit more and, and, you know, keeping myself going a bit, but they would only give me four days of medication at a time. And it was really expensive. So I would have to go to the doctors every every few days. Yeah. And I have to pay, you have to pay for doctor's appointments here as well. So I had to pay every few days to go to the doctors, sit in a waiting room, throw up in, you know, everywhere, all just all the way there in the waiting room and then sit in the, in the doctors. And sometimes, you know, I wouldn't get the same doctor and I would have to go through the whole rigmarole again and explain myself. And many times I was faced with, you have an eating disorder. It's all in your head. You just need crackers, all of these things. And then of course the comments from people that, that, you know, you know, things like, Oh, I had morning sickness or yeah, you know, it's just a part of pregnancy. You just need to go for a walk, get some fresh air, it's just none of that is helpful. It's just like it's a really chronic, serious illness. It's not morning sickness. Well, I mean, it used to be fatal. It's it's yeah. really bad. It's yeah, it's not, and I it's definitely not really um, no, and I can see that because if I had not received IVs or medication to help me, I can yeah, you would I would have died because I wasn't able to eat or drink anything and I was throwing up my stomach lining. So, yeah. 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 Oh, God. And then did you have – it doesn't – I mean, how did you get to a point then of planning for your birth when you have no capacity to do so? Well, my – the midwife that was that angel midwife from my second birth, uh, she was a private midwife, so I just messaged her and asked her to be my midwife and she had experienced high premises as well with her pregnancy so she was just such a wonderful okay. help she's and a person an to angel. Have. she's the person yeah, you're meant to have in your life <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. and, and i feel patient. she must have changed so many people's lives that way because she really is just this she feels like a warrior to be quite honest defending women against mm-hmm. this awful system that 
is designed to take our power from us. But yeah, she was amazing. So I wasn't really in a position to prepare. So I didn't, I just, I did what I could in terms of, um, I I curated the team around me. And I feel like that is a really big thing that people don't realize that they have the power to do. You can choose who you're around. You don't have to go to all the appointments. Absolutely. So yeah, my obstetrician was just a wonderful person, but I wanted my midwife to be the person that was with me and she was, and it was amazing. And did you end up having um, a birth at home or in a birth center or in hospital? Yeah, it was the same hospital that I had before. But when you do have a private midwife, I mean, when you have any midwife or if if you're any person, you can choose to have a home birth, but it's expensive. So these these options are really, there's barriers to them financially and it's a lot of hurdles, you know, because doctors will tell you uh, and try and warn you against those sorts of decisions. So I, I, because I had trusted the, the hospital that I was in for the previous two, I was just, I just wanted to go there. And because I was so sick, I thought I needed yeah. to be somewhere where I could have access to IVs if I needed in labor. And, and that was, you what, know, that, that was your safe place. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing you yeah. had access so to those. I just really needed to be yeah, near an IV and in case I needed it throughout labor because I didn't know whether I would throw up through the whole labor or I didn't weirdly and how did you feel I guess when you started like when your labor started I mean you must have still been really depleted and then you've got a potential marathon I mean even if it's for two hours or 20 hours it's still a marathon it's so physical how did that Um, feel actually yeah yeah I actually cried from joy it was an amazing thing. <laughs> I could cry thinking about it now because it just marked the beginning of the end. It was going to be, yeah. it was, I was going to be myself again. I was going to be able to be a mom to my kids again. And um, yeah, it was a really, oh, it was, I had been trying to bring on labor because I was so desperate to just have this baby. Um, and my last ditch attempt was, um, to go and see that Amelia Clark movie, you know that Christmas movie. Oh yeah, like a, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I went to see yeah. it. I went to see it at the movies with my cousin, and it was like, such a happy movie. Well, happy and sad. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'll go and see a rom com. You know, get the oxytocin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get the oxytocin flowing, and it worked. I had I went to see it. I got back at eleven p.m. and I was in. I labor had started. Consciously, I I knew it was kind of kicking off at about 4 a.m. So I was just in the shower. I remember getting ready, washing my hair, and I was so happy. Yeah. Oh, so many people are going to download that film now and watch that. <laughs> Try and yeah. bring their babies on. <laughs> Come on, Dude, the oxytocin. The oxy- oxytocin yeah. is a, is a thing. Like, yeah, it's a it's a definite. It really helped. It was amazing. I felt mm-hmm. so good. It was a funny morning because I had to get my. I didn't have to get my daughter ready for kindy, but I was going through the motions a bit laboring at home as much as I could so I was braiding hair and packing lunch boxes and you know down on all fours in the kitchen <laughs> cutting sandwiches and, in between um, <laughs> yeah. yeah it was uh it was funny and then we got to the hospital at what time did I get there eight in the morning and I had her at ten thirty. wow that's so, amazing yeah it was great 
Mm, and it was a wonderful, it was just, oh, I felt so powerful and amazing. And as soon as she came out, it was just this incredible thing. And then once the placenta was out, as soon as the placenta was out, I was fine, immediately fine. The sickness was gone. The nausea was gone. It was so incredible. Isn't that amazing? amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like a switch. It was just gone. And I, I couldn't remember what it was like to feel okay. And I, you know, I couldn't Mm -hmm. gulp water, you know, when you have those really cathartic drinks of water, when you're really thirsty, like, like, yeah. Oh, and it's just like running down your face and, I just all of that I was was (laughs) oh it was just amazing yeah it's like oh my god I love fresh air and I love it even to how you said that the smell of your kids like it must have been so nice to just be able to give them a big hug and enjoy all these simple things again yes yes and just I think that's why partly the reason why it was so easy for me to go for go from two children to three children was while I was mm. pregnant with two, with the two and pregnant with the third, it was the hardest time of my entire life. And then so for that to just be switched off and then to have this perfect little baby and, oh, it was just amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. sort of like, well, even if it is kind of hard with three, it's not as hard as what we've just been through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't unpacked mm. all of last year much, to be honest. I'm still on on a a big healing journey from that because it was so traumatic but I feel like yeah. in terms of what I've learned and my personal growth and all of that sort of thing it all comes from pregnancy and birth and that motherhood journey like it I feel mm. like um I feel like I am a different person but I'm more I'm more who I was supposed to be and that trust trusting That's myself exactly has is. been such yeah. a powerful thing I think that's really, I think that's so how I feel. I'm a different person, but I'm more me than I've ever been. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I love who I am and I feel confident in who I am. And so the work that I'm doing with Woman Circle, I don't think I would feel confident enough to do that had I not gone through those journeys. Like bringing women together and challenging systems as well, being a person that talks out about things and actively works against those systems is not something that I maybe would have felt confident enough in myself to do or even trusted, you know, my own voice or I don't know. I just, I feel like all of that, it's There's such a cliche, isn't it? They, they teach me more than I teach them, but it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes they're cliche for a reason. And that's ex- like, especially yeah. before I had like my daughter I just really didn't get it and I was just like oh yeah cool whatever and I was like no it's amazing and all this stuff and I just Mm. was not interested and now I hear myself and I'm like it's amazing I love it and I'm like how has this happened I feel still so lucky because I know everyone has different journeys but yeah I'm so grateful that this has been mine because it's just opened me up to myself and this amazing community of parents and birth and yeah I think it's there's something it's kind really of been an epiphany and an epiphany for me the birth thing yeah that's absolutely it it's awesome knowing um it's devastating in my mind to know that birth is this incredible thing that we have that we're so in control of and it's so a part of us and it's like a rite of passage and all of this stuff and that to have that taken and medicalized yeah. and institutionalized is a really sad thing but I do see 
this movement globally of of people coming together and sharing knowledge and talking and helping each other regain that sovereignty it's just a really incredible thing to see and I feel like social media in all of its negatives has been instrumental it's been just instrumental in in my growth as well because I have Mm. access to so many different voices and opinions and experiences experiences and able to listen to those people outside of my own outside of my own immediate sphere it's just it opens your world up so much and like for me especially when I was a first-time mom I didn't know uh, anything about anything to be quite honest and because I didn't trust my own thoughts connecting with people online and seeing that everyone else has those thoughts and you know able to make connections based on that just incredible, incredible and so powerful. Yeah, I really feel like there's, I don't know, sort of like a birth and, I don't know, postpartum parenthood. I feel like there's a bit of a revolution, really, of trying to work to reclaim that space. That waits me too. It's uh, Yeah, I guess that's one of the things like I'm doing the podcast for or training to be a birth keeper. And it's, I think it's awesome. It's just, I think I'm also a bit sad that it seems to have taken so long and that it's interesting too in learning all this I reflect differently on my birth almost every week (laughs) it's like the episiotomy the episiotomy for me that in my first pregnancy I didn't actually reflect on that in a way where I realized what it was until last week Mm. and it was through an incredible birth keeper on Instagram that I connected with on Instagram and then met her in real life. She came to photograph my first circle that I held here after returning from overseas, Michelle Palasia. She's amazing. And um, she was talking about episiotomies and it's just through, through, you know, reading what people share and, and listening to people's voices. And then that's, that's instrumental in healing as well. Cause I don't know if I had of even, yeah. I would have even framed that in that way until I read mm. that. And then I, I mentioned it to my husband and he was like, oh my God, that's completely what that is. And we spoke about it and it's been, you know, I hadn't realized that it was something I was holding on to until then. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's how interesting is that like six years later, is it? Yeah. I sort yeah. of think it also speaks to the length of a postpartum journey doesn't it it's I think people sort of say you know postpartum is like 12 weeks maybe a year but actually it's a long journey maybe we're always postpartum I I personally (laughs) yeah I personally feel like we're always postpartum because we are literally always postpartum aren't we after we we can't go back yeah no there is there is no um, there's nothing it's gone yeah exactly (laughs) that's exactly I was trying to find the word you are always postpartum and so it's just honoring those ebbs and flows and trusting oh, yourself. Gosh. That's I think the main so many thing. things I could talk to you about. I love this. There. That's yeah. I think that's such a good thing to take away. Um and I mean, isn't that a testament to you of yeah, connecting and talking through things with other people? This is how we come to understand our own experiences. I think it's through the solitary nature of modern motherhood is where we are so vulnerable. But I feel that through connecting with other people and sharing our experiences and amplifying each other's voices and, you know, working against systemic imbalances and injustices, that's where we get our power back. And 
yeah, so that's really what I aim to do with my life and with my work. And I feel like it's all kind of been triggered by, by pregnancy and birth. Yeah. And mm. motherhood your own experiences oh mm. beth and thank you so much for sharing your experiences and just your journey i've really i've taken lots from it and it's i don't know i also think it's nice to sort of have i don't know like yeah just quiet reflections that resonate with you so i'm sure there's going to be many people who connect with much of what you've shared today so thank you this was my first podcast so thank you very much for having me on oh. here to ramble for an hour <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. the chat. It's funny because, well, it doesn't really matter to those listening, but it's like just gone 11 o'clock at night here, which is well past my bedtime. But I just get such a buzz chatting to people. So I'll probably be up for hours now. Like, oh, that was really good. <laughs> um, <but laughs> yeah. I love talking about birth and motherhood. Um, but Beth, and how are people best to connect with you on Instagram? Is that going to be the best place? Yeah, Instagram. So I have my business Instagram is Woman Circle, so WMN Circle. And that's where I I speak a lot on there and share, you know, my online circles and my in-person circles. And then I just started a new account for more just personal reflections away from that is Woman Craft. So WMN Craft, C-R-A-F-T. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Well, there we go. People can follow all different kinds of journeys with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You go. Well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. It's been so nice to talk to you. You too. Thanks. Thank You're you. welcome. <laughs> hope you enjoyed this episode come connect with me on instagram with the handle born underscore underscore together i'd love to hear from you and please do share subscribe and rate the podcast to help it get out to a wider audience i'd love if you could until next week bye